Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special and different guest, a man with uh, hair that everybody should be in the entire planet should be jealous of, Mark Clare. Mark Clare is the co-founder, host, and producer of the Lions of Liberty podcast. After being inspired by the 2008 presidential campaign of Ron Paul, Mark co-founded the Lions of Liberty brand and website with his three fellow Penn State alumni. That website soon evolved from opinion pieces and daily news articles into the Lions of Liberty podcast, which Mark founded in 2013. Over the last six years, Lions of Liberty has become, well, actually would be uh, eight now. Over the last eight years, Lions of Liberty has become a leading platform for libertarian voices in the alternative media. Mark, welcome to the show. Lance, man, it's great to be here, dude. Yeah, you gotta now you gotta update that website because that's where I, I know, pulled I this do. intro from. <laughs> I'm actually you had asked me the other day. I'm actually in the middle of updating my bio for a website for a business I'm starting. So I'm I'm in the process of, of getting a more updated version of that. Oh, cool. Maybe we can talk about the business you're starting later. Um, so yeah, before we kind of get into everything liberty related, um, tell us a little bit more. One thing I try to look up for you, Mark, today was anything on LinkedIn. Where did Mark go to school? Maybe he, obviously Penn State. Like, what did you what did you study? Um, what's your professional background? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So LinkedIn, Mark. <laughs> Basically, LinkedIn, Mark went to Penn State, studied uh, studied like television and video production. And shortly after college, I say shortly, it was about two years, uh, moved out to Los Angeles uh, to to make it big in the TV industry and. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I made it big or not, but I, I had a successful career, I would say. Um, freelance, actually, for most of that career. So in, in some ways, I mean, in some ways, we're kind of all entrepreneurs, no matter what our job is. Even if mm-hmm. we have one job, we're an entrepreneur who just sells our time to one client. So I guess I was like an entrepreneur who sold my time, time to a lot of different clients. Um, and um, yeah, over the years, I basically just kind of worked my way, I don't know about up, but worked my way into developing, you know, developing a network in, in the t- TV industry. I, I basically did like live editing, live video editing and like, highlights for sports, uh, sporting events, um, entertainment, that sort of thing. And at some point along the way, as you mentioned in my uh, introduction there, I started the podcast that was kind of like a very separate venture to me. I didn't even view it as a business venture of any kind at all. And for a long time, it really wasn't a business venture that it kind of just evolved into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, and basically um, that freelance career took me into um, accepting a full-time job in the industry in like 2016. And I wasn't even sure I wanted to do it because I was actually on sort of on the cusp of saying, well, I I built up this freelance career. Now I'm in a a place where maybe I can make more of the podcast, uh, maybe work my way into some other entrepreneurial endeavors. But I just kind of made the decision. I said, well, I can take this offer or and leave later or I can not take it and not get it back if I change my mind. So I decided to take the offer at the time and I pretty much did that for most of the, the past five years. I was still freelancing a little bit, um, still working on the podcast stuff, but it, but it was really because I was working so much, um, a lot of those entrepreneurial endeavors were just sort of a little bit here and there, a little bit here and there. And, you know, but a little bit here and there, it does, does add up. So even that, even though maybe I could have or should have put a lot more time and effort into a lot of that stuff, um, yeah, it, it is what it is. So it, it all led me to where I am today. Tell us about getting your foot in the door. So how do you, how did, what was your strategy for trying to get your foot in the door in basically in LA in, in a place where I feel like that's a very competitive, mm-hmm. it's a very competitive arena to even get into. 
Yeah, it's difficult. It really is difficult, especially to break into live television because live television is live television. So no one really wants to hire you to work mm -hmm. on a show unless you already have the experience because there's not much learning on the job that can happen because if you fuck up, you fucked up on air and that director looks bad. And so it just it's just a chain reaction of, of terribleness. So basically no one wants to bring you on unless you have an experience. And how do you get the experience? And, you know, it's, it's that cycle that I'm sure is true of like many industries, but I think it is more so true in live television because there is like there's no chance to fix a live show like the live show is happening and if you mess it up you mess it up and everybody knows um but yeah i mean for me it i just actually happened to get a, a job in television um right out of college that was not exactly doing what i wanted to do so i think that's part of it too is like taking a job maybe like somewhere tertiary to your industry, um, even though it's not the exact job you want, can really get you in the door. So I took a job um, in 2001 with a company that did broadcasting. Um, and so then one of their clients, um, and that, that was like my very first job in television. I knew nothing. I basically learned everything I knew on the job. That was when I realized like how much I didn't learn in college because I spent oh, God. two or, oh, I spent two you or too. three years. I spent two or three years in college, like focusing just on video production. I got there the first day, and I couldn't answer like half the questions there. And do you have a, I, so? Did, did you do for? Do you do four year four year bachelor's then? Yeah. Yep. Four year bachelor's degree. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you, I mean in hindsight, would you if if you could go back and tell young Mark, would you say just tech school or just act, go something else? You know, it's funny. I mean, it, it's hard to look back and. But then and you wouldn't have met Brian. Yeah, so. that's the thing. I wouldn't have my Lions <laughs> Liberty compatriots. I mean, go. what I might say to do is I might say, go live in State College, Pennsylvania and mm. make some friends and party and go get a job at a TV station and learn and work okay. if that's what you want to do. Because, I mean, yeah, I, a lot of people I work with in the TV industry, I'd say about half of them are like me, went to school, got a four-year degree and, you know, worked their way into the industry. The other half didn't do that. Like they just got a job out of college, somehow ended up working in TV and then ended up in basically the same place I was. So I've definitely thought about that a lot along the way. Like, did I really need to do that? And the answer is no, I didn't really need to do that. Like I can, I can come up with a bunch of reasons that, that going to college, you know, worked out well for me. I mean, you know, the friends that I met there are the friends that introduced me to like the libertarian ideas. Mm. And you know, I, I can't rewrite everything that's happened, yeah. but I, I would definitely give advice to younger people like to say like, don't think you need to go to college. Uh, don't think you need to get a four year degree. You definitely don't need a four-year degree to do to do what I do. You definitely don't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I think that that was I, I I say it sort of half jokingly about you know going back and telling your younger self. So I'm hoping there are younger people listening um, to this show, this episode specifically, and maybe it'll resonate with them for sure. Um, saving money is a good thing, right? And and I'm sure Penn State is not cheap, especially now. It's not. Yeah, I paid off. I paid it off when I was 35. I probably could have paid it off sooner, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it's low interest. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's move into kind of what kicked you off and starting with Lions of Liberty, because I'm always fascinated about everybody's origin stories. So uh, just like just like you, me, a lot of other people, our age, I would say the millennials or like, early, you know, or like a, a, sort of in between Gen X and, and millennial were inspired by Ron Paul. So his presidential run in 2008 uh, inspired you to then start the podcast. What, what specifically, um, what messaging exactly like got it? Cause you hear Dave Smith's whole, um, Ron Paul moment, right? I, 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 he, he can't say that enough on his podcast. I hear it almost every freaking episode. Was there, was there anything specific or was it the overall message? And then what were you politically before that? It, well, for me, like I actually got turned on to like Ron Paul, just like his writing in college, which was well before 2008. Um, 
And so I was actually reading his writing before that. And his his writing is what first got me thinking outside the sort of Republican Democrat paradigm, the right left paradigm, because I saw that what really struck me is that in his writing and this is in maybe like this is like around the Bush era, I think um, most of his writing was directed at Republicans. Most of the things he was talking about, mm-hmm. he was criticizing George Bush. Uh, he was criticizing Republicans. He was criticizing the wars, the war on terror, the police state, but it was all directed at Republicans and he was a Republican. And I was just, it just struck me as being so different because when I grew up, I listened to like, you know, political talk radio in the car with my dad. And it was always just, no, the Republicans go after Republicans, Democrats go after Democrats. And that's just the way it is. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think there was any other way until yeah. I found him. So he was the first one that it wasn't even necessarily about what his philosophy was per se at the time. <laughs> just the fact that it was principled, whatever it was, it came from a place of principle yeah. and not from a place of just, I'm trying to score points with my, whatever political party I'm supposed to score yeah. points with. Um, so that really stuck with me. So I was always just like a, a background Ron Paul fan. Like I, I, I read his Texas Straight Talk column for for years and years and years before I um, before I came upon his um, his presidential run. And I was I, that kind of got me excited. Not excited like I think he's going to become president, but just like oh, he's running for president. Like well, that's not going to go anywhere. But okay, like that's kind of cool. I had, I had no idea that would happen. And um, I, I guess politically speaking, like. I actually did vote for the Libertarian Party candidate in 2004. I think it was Michael Badnerick, but that w- it was just kind of like it wasn't like I was philosophically libertarian per se. I just I, I just instinctively didn't like the two parties. As I think reading Ron Paul really got me in that mode sure. even more. Like like I really really especially at the time it, there really was I don't know if you can say exactly the same now in 2021, but in 2004 it, it was pretty safe to say the parties are basically the same. Like the Democrat and Republican parties yeah. are essentially exactly the same. Um, so I just, it was kind of like a protest vote for, for me, but I didn't, I didn't really have like that strong of a political belief. Like I started, read some of the books, you know, I'd started to read, gone down some of those rabbit holes, read like the Hayek's, the, the Rothbard's and that, that kind of thing. But it was always just a hobby to me. Like mm-hmm. it's not something I talked about with anybody else, like literally anybody else. I just like read some books and that was it. Um, so when Ron Paul ran for president, I, I think it wasn't about any one specific thing he said again. It was just about the way he dealt with it and the way he dealt with adversity and the way he dealt with moderators openly mocking him. Yeah. Um, like literally these are the guys that are supposed to be unbiased and they're just, they're literally just making fun of him. Like, like high school bullies. And the fact that he didn't back, he didn't just not back down. He doubled down on everything. Uh, anytime he would be challenged and, or asked to apologize for something, he wouldn't back down. He would just conf- again, like calmly in his jovial way, uh, state exactly what he believed, whether it was saying, yes, I do think we should legalize heroin. This guy can stand on the stage and get made fun of and be just completely mocked and still just do do everything with a smile and keep keep you know keep kind of a podcast didn't come up right away. It was just more like, well, I can start talking about this stuff too. So it started with just talking to my friends and my family, like talking to my dad about it, who at mm-hmm. first just laughed it off too and said, I don't know, this guy's a joke. Don't waste your time and money on that. Ah, three months later, he was a Ron Paul donor. Um, and like, wow. I was I was just kind of one of those annoying Ron Paul people, which I would, I would probably be annoyed by myself now, like sharing Ron Paul videos every day, emailing the people, posting them on MySpace. This is how far back we go here. Um, <laughs> But you know, it did it did happen to get get a couple people along the way. You know, I got John Utter, Matt, Brian McWilliams, um, who I ended up forming Lions of Liberty with. So it had its benefits, but I, I probably would approach it a little bit different were, were this happening today. Oh yeah, for sure. So you you kind of touched a little bit on starting the podcast. So why after were you just sick of talking to family members, and is that really what kicked <laughs> you off to starting the podcast, or was there somebody influential like 
Tom Woods. Um, but I think yours is even before Tom Woods started his, right? I kind of got a couple of people interested in these ideas and then we started just emailing articles and just talking about the, you know, we call it the Ron Paul chain and eventually mm. the Liberty chain. And then someone would be like, Oh, my friend is interested in this stuff too. He'll come on here. So eventually we had like 25, 30 people, mostly people from Penn state or friends of people from Penn state. It was all kind of came from that core group that were just talking about these ideas. And at first it was just talking about like the Ron Paul campaigns. But once that died down, it became more talking about like the philosophical ideas, anarcho-capitalism, how these things would work in a free society, all that nerdy libertarian stuff. Um, and so that I think at some point we were all just doing so much typing, like long form typing things out to each other that I think I was just like, why don't we just like start a blog or a website? Like just put this stuff up somewhere since we're already pretty much doing all this work, you know, typing all this stuff out. We may as well kind of like translate these to the public in some way. And maybe some other people will be interested. So that, that's kind of how the, the website itself started. Um, we did a lot of posting over on the Daily Paul. That was like a big Ron Paul <clears> website. <throat> and that's where we first got kind of got some traction. Like sometimes some articles there would blow up. Um, and then at some point along the way, like I just found myself listening to a lot of podcasts and this might sound crazy to you, Lance, but at the time in like 2012, 2013, I really couldn't find libertarian podcasts, at least not the ones that I wanted to listen to. Like I wanted yeah. to just listen to libertarians talk about their stories and how they became libertarians and, you know, dive into this nerdy stuff. And it really wasn't out there. Like, like there was some kind of dry, boring Cato type podcast that explained liberty. And there was, um, I think Lou Rockwell like did some occasional podcasts, but mm -hmm. they were really sporadic. There were, there just wasn't that consistent libertarian podcast that you could open it up every week and go listen to. So I said, well, I guess I'll just make that podcast. Um, so that's what I did. I, I, I kind of just talked to some friends of mine who had also started a, a totally non-political podcast and just kind of asked them how they did it and just basically just copied what they did. And um, then right as I was getting ready to launch or no, I think it was like right after my first episode or, or two, I'm like, all right, maybe this isn't great, but I'm, I'm the only one doing this right now. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be the guy i see this ad like you mentioned the tom wood show coming in october ah. so tom did start just a few weeks after me and obviously he's he's a freaking you know he's a boss he's a beast five days a week yeah he's yeah. an absolute beast and uh so but he has actually inspired me even though i technically started before him he's he's really inspired me to be like all right if this guy can do five episodes a week i can get off my ass for the one you know yeah totally Oh man, thanks for sharing that kind of bit, a back channel history about that. Um, I, I just love origin stories. I love that you started sort of organically. Like it was more of just yeah. a passion than anything. For sure. Um, so if people, do you think do you think there's too many podcasts today? Um, you mentioned like there's not, like you couldn't find any at first. And the reason I'm asking that is because if, if I, I like doing, I still think there's room for people um, to express themselves and, and make podcasts and stuff. But there's always like niches to do. Yes. So part one of this question is, do you think there's too many podcasts? And then part two is if you, if you know, should, if, if people are listening to this and they're entrepreneurs or anybody um, and they have an idea to start a podcast in their head, should they do it? And like, why should they do it? Like, well, how has it benefited you? Well, part of my uh, entrepreneurial endeavors right now is helping people coach people into starting their podcast. So I, awesome. I'd really be, I'd be going against my own interests if I said that, no, sure. I shouldn't. Um, but it's, it's definitely not something everybody should do. Um, and, and I would say, you say, is there too many podcasts? I don't know. May, I mean, it seems like it. Cause for me, it's, it's like, I used to have maybe four podcasts and now I have like 50 and I probably listen to like 2% of the interviews that come out. Cause there's just too many and I'm, I'm stretched too thin. So in a sense, there's like too many podcasts, but I think that's a good thing. It's, it's a glut of, it's a, it's a, it's a market where there's something for everybody. And that's the great mm -hmm. thing about podcasting is that it is so niche. And I think there's always, there's always a way you can niche down and get even more 
in depth on something that someone else wants. Like, and, and you don't need to necessarily like if podcast was like traditional media, I would say there's too many podcasts because mm. uh, traditional media is trying to please everybody. Mm-hmm. Podcasts are actually the opposite. Podcast is really about trying to find your people and trying to find the people that, that you know, synchronize with your message and really focusing on pleasing those people and doing the best product for them. Um, not necessarily pleasing the masses. Cause if you're trying to speak to everybody, you're going to end up speaking to nobody at all. So it's really about crafting that message and, and honing it for, for as much of a niche as, as you can get down. And if, and once you've niched too hard, niche even harder, cause that's, that's only going to bring you like, it might bring you less subscribers actually in the, in the short term anyway, mm-hmm. but it'll get you better ones. It'll get you like the, the quality subscribers, the people that are really going to be part of a community. Cause that's, that's your base. What, yeah, exactly. And that, that's ultimately what a podcast is. It's, it's building a community. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like one of the most powerful communities you can build because you know, if I do. I have two podcasts. Actually, I also have a comic book podcast called Second Print Comics Podcast. So, you know, if I do like you know two to three hours of podcasting every week just for my own shows. So anybody that follows me, if they follow me on both podcasts, they're they're spending two or three hours a week with me. Yeah. Times fifty weeks, one hundred and fifty hours a week that they're just listening to me talk to people. So like that really does build like a bond and and um, a level of trust and a level like it's kind of a sense of community that you, you just can't possibly get with like with like mass media or even with a big podcast like Joe Rogan, you know, I mean, yeah, he's, he's huge. And, but I, I don't think like there's a, there's not like a, not a small niche community around, around Joe Rogan. Cause he is sort of, and he does it better than almost anybody, but he is kind of marketing. He doesn't have a very specific niche necessarily. His niche is like, I'm a bro and I'm, I'm, you know, talking about random. Well, his stuff. average I, is 8 million downloads an episode. Yeah, I mean, I, like, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so the, I'm not going to, that's a real number. Yeah. I'm not going to tell him he's doing anything wrong. And I, and I listen to his show too. He, he does great, but it's, it's different than what most people are going to be mm-hmm. able to do with podcasts. Most people should not try to be the next Joe Rogan. Like Joe Rogan is the only Joe Rogan for a reason. Yeah. I think what it is, is it's just like you did. And, and what we do at, at our podcast is we're just, we're just, it's something that we're passionate about. And so if we, if we're passionate about it, then it's, it's easy to speak about. Yeah. And then it just drives right into a niche. I'm with you 100%. That really did establish our base too, because we weren't what, trying to reach for the moon, you know. One thing I want to add about like, should everybody start a should pe- should people start a podcast? I would just say that you should start a podcast if you're gonna be passionate about the actual process, like mm-hmm. actually about doing it, about having the conversations. Um, if that if you enjoy that part. And then you're not going to be just sitting there waiting for the immediate check to to come in because that's not probably not how it's going to happen. It's I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe you could make a lot of money on a podcast right away. Probably not. You're probably going to have to really, really plug away and maybe even for years before you really see things really pick up because that is just the nature of things. Um, so I would say if you enjoy the process, if you're going to enjoy the process, then you should do it. But it, and but you got to be ready. I mean, you got to be ready to to look up and see. 40 downloads for like some amount of time. It might yep. be a long amount of time, it might be a lot longer mm-hmm. than you're willing to, to put in the work if you don't feel like you're getting the return. Um, but at the same time, I always looked at it this way. I don't remember where I heard this first, but it, whenever I started doing this, it really helped my perspective on things. Like if you just picture, if you look at the downloads of your podcast and you might think they're small, maybe, it, maybe it's 20 or 30 downloads. You might think that's like nothing. But if you think about it, what if like, what if you were in a room, like hosting a conversation between you and somebody else and like 20 or 30 people came into that room and sat there and intently listened to you? You'd be like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like these people, these 20 or 30 people are like in here listening to me. So if you try to have that mindset with a podcast, yeah. I think that can help you get through those those low numbers in the early days for sure. Right. And one other thing I think I want to point out to everybody is that uh, we have people that find like maybe episode like 250 of ours and then they'll mm-hmm. go back all the way to zero yeah. and they'll start at the beginning. That's a big one. So like mm-hmm. don't discount those numbers will catch up at, at, at the end. It, it's literally just being consistent. Like you said, like Tom Woods is doing five a week. 
Mark can do one a week, you know, Lance can do one a week, that sort of thing. One other thing you touched on that I'm, I'm glad we, you, you talked about was money. Um, talk about monetizing without getting into numbers, but talk about monetizing a podcast a bit, if you would like, when do you think a podcast is monetizable? You can do, you can do all kinds of Google searches where they say like, Oh, you need to have 5,000 downloads or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, so when did you figure out like when it was monetizable for yours? And then how did you go about getting those first sponsors? Did they come to you or did you go to them? Ultimately, I mean, what I would say people now is really there's no podcast too small to be monetized or that's too, yeah, there's no podcast that is too small to be monetized because almost anybody, even if you have 10 downloads, you could work out an affiliate deal. Mm -hmm. What's deal, 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 what's something like that. And almost anybody is willing to do that with their product, especially a lot of smaller companies that, which are a lot of the ones that of course, big companies also advertise on podcasts on big podcasts. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, for, for us with Lions Liberty, like I said, for, for me, it was just not a, it was not a business at first. It was just like something I wanted to do, but it did continue to cost me money for a while. So at some point you do start to think, okay, like I need to do something here. And somewhere along the way, people just started to reach out and be like, Hey, where can I support you guys? Um, how can I send you money? And at first I was like, Oh, we don't have anything set up for that. And then after a while I was like, wait, why am I saying no to people? No kidding. Yeah. Like what what's wrong with me? I had to slap myself in the face. Like, okay. So, so first we just set up a Patreon, um, very simple. And like, were just completely flummoxed by the results because we also didn't like we set up a page around, but then I, I have this, like I had this guilt thing where I was like, I can't just take money from people. Like I'm already doing a free podcast. I shouldn't get paid for that. So we really put in a lot of effort to put in a lot of content for the people that contribute to that. So, you know, that of course put in more work for us and everything, but I think it's, it's really paid off because people see, see just like they see the work we put in on the public podcast, people that join our Patreon or now we have locals page as well. Uh, they see the work that we put on, put in just to please them that no one else gets to access either. So that really helps build even the sort of the community within the community, um, which is really, you know, that that's kind of the way to monetize. Cause it's, it's not a coincidence either that those people, um, those people that are in the Patreon or maybe even the ones that are at the higher tiers, those are the people that if we have a product that we're selling, like you right away, those are the ones that buy it. Like those yeah. are the ones that are like, oh, I signed up for that class. I signed up for this, like, because they trust us and they know that we're not going to pitch them some bullshit. Like we don't, we don't just take any old sponsor. Like it has to be someone we at least have gotten familiar with. We know they like share our values or ethics in some way, shape or form, or that we've used the product and actually like the product. Um, so there's that level of trust there. Um, so that's how it started just monetizing just through it, just through a very simple Patreon. But eventually we did get advertisers and I, Man, I'm trying to think, have we ever reached out to an advertiser? I'm not sure if we've ever reached We ha We probably have a few times. I'm just not that I can't think of, but mo almost all of our advertisers have been word of mouth. They've been people that approached us that said, Hey, I like the show. I have this product. I'd like to advertise with you guys. Um, or, or it's something where now sometimes like, you know, in this sort of Liberty podcast community, there's a lot of like similar sponsors. So mm -hmm. if we hear someone, so I guess we do reach out sometimes if we hear someone like in our niche advertising on a, on a similar level of podcast, we might just say, Hey guys, we heard you on this show. You know, you might, our audience it's kind of similar. You might want to do something here and kind of work it from there, but it's been almost entirely organic, uh, either being connected to, um, you know, to advertisers through other podcasters or, or, uh, or mostly like people just reaching out to us cold and saying, Hey, we, we, I like your podcast. We want to advertise on it. And then we just kind of make a deal. That's amazing. Did, did they ever care about the numbers? The people that approached you, they were like, well, but first we got to see these numbers. No one's ever asked to see them. Like some wow. people will ask the numbers. Yeah, I, I can actually say no one, people have asked, like, but no one's ever, I mean, we could provide a screenshot, but just no one's ever asked. So we've never done that. I, I don't think, I'm trying to think if anyone has. 
Uh, but yeah, it's, there's a, there's definitely a level of trust there too. Cause I guess we could be full of shit. I mean, we're not, but we always, <laughs> the, we always tell the truthful numbers, yeah. but it's, it's something about this pie. I mean, maybe this would be different if we were talking to like a big, you know, huge advertiser. Cause you know, sure. we're, we're just a little bit below the level. This is part of the, we maybe can get into it a little bit. This is part of the problem that we're trying to solve with, uh, with the business that I'm starting to, um, is kind of connecting, um, podcasters that are just a little too small for the mm-hmm. huge app for like the real corporate type advertisers with, um, a- with advertisers that are also a little too small to be paying for the, the sort of the corporate advertisers and trying to just kind of connect them and basically just parse out like, all right, we're going to, if you need 5,000 downloads, we're going to take those 5,000 downloads and maybe you're going to get them across 10 podcasts. I don't know, but you're going to get those 5,000 downloads. So it, it'll help out. The idea is to help out kind of smaller podcasters, like, like, you know, people like, you know, <clears throat> that were maybe when Lions Liberty was a little bit smaller, that just couldn't land any advertisers. Well, we're going to help you land advertisers be, and, and help advertisers connect to podcasters. Cause I really truly, truly believe that podcasting is one of, if not the best forms of advertising around. Um, because it, like I said, it's all about that personal connection. There's that the audience has really a connection with the host, uh, a sense of community. And when you have that level of trust and, and you don't breach that trust either, that's important. Don't, you mm-hmm. know, if you start, if you start selling hacky products that you don't believe in, that you don't know anything about, then you're, you are going to breach that trust. So that's really important not to do that too. Um, so we're really careful about that and careful about the products that we, that we have bring on to uh, be sponsors. But yeah, I mean, I think that's, um, yeah, that's pretty much sums up. My thoughts. That, that was great. That was great. You were like a wind up toy, man. I forgot. Yeah, how that's fast how I go. You talk. <laughs> if you don't stop me, I'll just, I'll just it's keep all going. good. You got at some point you got to pull the, pull the well, battery as out. As you know, as you know, like you want guests like you because then you make my job easy. It's super easy. Today. Exactly. Up. I can be your Scott Horton. That's why there I like Scott Horton. There you go. Yeah, exactly. There you go. You ask him uh, one I, question and then you just said, just say Yemen and he'll go <laughs> off. Right. Uh, tell me what is one big surprise about podcasting um, that you just didn't even expect? Can you think of one? Big surprise. Something um, where you, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, well, yeah, I, I'd say like, not like I'm not famous Lance at all, but being recognized by anybody is weird to me. And uh, so I think one, one surprise that I experienced, I think, I think you might've been at this event, the one in new Orleans, uh, yep. like the human. Yeah. You, I think that's where we met at the human action bash in new Orleans. And I, I walked in there and I hear, is that Mark Claire? I, I look that. over and it's Tom Woods. I'm like, wait, Whoa. Tom Woods is the one. Tom Woods is recognizing me. How What's going amazing. on here? Yeah. So that was a surprising moment. I don't That's know if cool. it exactly answers the question, but that exactly answers the question. That's okay. amazing. That's a great story. <laughs> Absolutely. I was like, all right, I guess I made it with Tom Woods at least. <laughs> I will. I get that every once in a while too. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not famous either. Um, been on television one time, stuff like that. But like, I got that. I get that every once in a while. And mm-hmm. it's some reason it's when my wife is with me. At a very random place, and you're like, I swear this doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, and then it happens, and yeah, it is pretty freaky. Um, and that, now mostly people recognize me if I'm at like a Liberty event or something sure. like that. I get, but it, it doesn't really happen to me in the wild. Yeah, very often. Uh, let's talk Liberty, and maybe more specifically the Libertarian Party. So, you, like you just said, you and I first met in New Orleans. I think 2018 is when it, when yeah, when that yeah. the National Convention was. Um, and since then, I, I think, uh, you and I both have been, and if I'm speaking for you, you can correct me after I'm done with my little sentence here, um, that we're disappointed in the libertarian party's direction. It's ineptness, maybe just as a vehicle for like, especially during all of the COVID stuff that even the messaging just out of social media was atrocious. Um, what is, what is your take on the party since getting involved when you were just briefly involved with it there? Yeah, actually, 
I, w- I only got involved in the Libertarian Party in the first place because people started reaching out to me for interviews that were within the party. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm running for this office or that office. And I'd be like, all right, well, you seem interesting enough and I'll, I'll talk, you know, I'll bring you on the show. And then at some point, um, I got started to ask to host debates by a lot of those same people. So I started hosting debates. And that was really my interest in the party was just from like a media standpoint. Like it just started to become part of what I did. So, but I was never like any kind of like hardcore Libertarian Party anything really. It was just more of just like I'm covering this event for the purposes of, of you know, because being that Liberty Media type guy. Um, but I, I mean, I, I will say like around. I think it was just after 28. No, it was then. Yeah, because we were at that, that bash. Uh, the Mises Caucus did excite me in the sense that I think, like like anybody else, when I see the name libertarian or the, or the word liberty being being used by people that are just completely saying completely things that are just anathema to liberty, like like Bill Weld or somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that I just don't like that. So like, the, there's part of me that saw the Mises Caucus and um, <coughs> wanting them to them re, to reignite the Ron Paul Revolution that excited me, and I, I, I and I like those guys and I support those guys. Um, so I was happy to see that happening. I even hosted like a summit of a bunch of podcasters on Lions of Liberty. It was like me, Tom Woods, Dave Smith. Um, Mance, he's he's beat now. He was Mance back then. That's how long ago this was. Jason Stapleton, like all of these guys were excited about the Libertarian Party, not about the party, but about the Mises Caucus sort of takeover of the party. And I was for it because, but I think the difference is back then, like the political stuff to me was just kind of like fun. It was just like a thing. Like I didn't think the Libertarian Party was going to win elections or influence anything. It was just like this place where people, I, people I knew agreed with me on a lot of stuff and I could talk about nerdy Liberty stuff and we can go to parties. We can have fun afterwards, go out in Bourbon Street, but it wasn't that serious to me. But I think in the last 18, 20 months, like politics is more serious to me now. Mm -hmm. This isn't a fucking game. Like look what's happening around us. And it's hard for me to take the Libertarian Party, even with many of the good people who I like, who I'm I'm friends with, who I respect within the Mises caucus. It's hard for me to take it seriously as, as anything that can do anything, even if the right people get in there, even if the right people with the right messaging get in there, then it's still just kind of like, what? So what? So we're messaging for what? How is that affecting anything right now? Like, I don't yeah. really, like, and I'm not like one of these people that's out there saying like, we don't need to message for Liberty or anything like that. Like I, I would be a hypocrite if I said that it's what I talk about like all the time, but I, I think we need to take like the political end a little more seriously or not get involved in it or just stay out of it. But if you're going to do it, I hope it matters. And if you're also going to do it, I hope you've taken care of your own house first. I hope that mm. you're in a situation where you're not afraid of getting fired because of a vaccine mm-hmm. mandate, or I hope that, you know, I hope you've got your shit sorted before you put yourself into the political realm because you got to have priorities. And I didn't always have my priorities straight in, in, in that way. But I think if you're not getting them straight after the last 18, 20 months, then I don't know what the fuck is going to get you to get them. Well, straight. that was one of the, I, I thought it was, you, there were so many, I mean, we're here today because of Dave's Dave's show, because I, when I listened to that, I, I immediately re- reach out to you because I just, mm-hmm. I felt like I was listening to myself. Um, there was a lot of similarities. So getting your house in order and everything. And one of the things you said about that was like, it, 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 there's so many people, libertarians in that, in this libertarian party or the, or the movement or, or whatever, where it's like um, barely able to make their rent. And they're yeah. trying to go do all this activist stuff. Like, I think and you're you, not exaggerating. Cause I've seen people say, exactly. I literally don't know how I'm going to make my rent. So this is yes. not an exaggeration. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what would you tell people who maybe they're, I have listeners on this show. I know that are, um, they have a surface level view of the libertarian party and what it can do and what it can't do. And they're still kind of like, ah, you know, you, you, you had a protest vote, like you said, in 2004, I did my protest votes too. I don't vote anymore now because I think it's a sham, but, um, they, what would you tell somebody who's listening, who's still 
even has some modicum of belief that this is a vehicle, the Libertarian Party, for like moving forward in freedom of liberty, like not don't get involved. I mean, what's your take on that? Like, I'm not one to tell people what to do or what not to do. I would say if you're but if they asked you. If they ask me, well, if they ask me, that's fair then. That's that yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, I, I would think it would depend on their situation. Like if, if they're saying specifically the Libertarian Party, I would, I would say like, so what's your goal? Like, what's the end goal? Mm. Are you trying to actually like achieve some political power? Because the politics isn't my thing. But if you're going to get into politics, it probably does make more sense to use an avenue um, that is more likely to gain your results. And I know like a lot of libertarians have that blood soaked monsters attitude towards the Republican party, like it's yep. 2004 still, but it's not 2004 still. And things are a little bit different now in the political world. Things are always changing in the political world. Mm-hmm. We, we shouldn't get stuck in time. And you know, th- there was a time when just, you know, just having being involved in the libertarian party just for messaging seemed good. But how many people did I interview that were running for office that openly admitted they had no chance to win and that were all just doing this for fun, not for fun. Like, it's serious yeah. stuff, but you know, knowing that it's not going to achieve yeah. the result. So it's like, if you're, if you're just trying to message, there's so many ways you can message. Like you don't need to be in this party. You don't need to go knocking on doors and you can start to, like, a podcast. Get, you can start a podcast. Yeah. You, you can go. call me and I'll help you start your podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, I would say do it. If you're going to do it, do it with the right expectations. At least know that it is uh, a politically somewhat, I don't want to say fruitless. Like there are people that run as libertarians that get in on the local level. And I would say that would be the only way it makes sense. Actually, is if you're, if your involvement is, is for some sort of local aim, whether it's, you know, what maybe it's just, you know, networking with people in the libertarian party and maybe in your local area, they have enough connections that they can really help maybe certain bills get passed. Like I know Michael Heist did a lot of good work, like legalizing mushrooms. Like I don't want to discourage any work like that, but I think if we're looking at it on this big grand level of, Oh, we're going to take over the libertarian party and put all our time and effort into that. So we can get the right messaging in. It's like, why? <laughs> like, like why? I mean, I, and I'm yeah. not against the messaging, but I'm, I'm against waste. What I'm against is wastes of time. I just don't like to see people wasting time. And I say this because I'm someone who was wasted a lot of time in my life. Like for sure. Like I've definitely had a lot of my days where I got into stupid arguments on Facebook and spent hours and hours. And I still do on Twitter sometimes, but at least Twitter's faster. So I waste less time. I like to think less characters. Um, Yeah. Less characters. (laughs) That helps. Um, But I mean, I I don't know. It's it's like I'm trapped between two versions of myself sometimes where I'm, I don't want to be too hard on the young version of myself because Mm -hmm. that was me. Then that's still me. But I also do want to give a little tough love to people because I mean, I'm in, I'm in a decent situation now. I'm not in the best situation. I could be in a better situation. I could have a lot. I could be a lot further along on certain things than I am. And so, you know, but the fact is I didn't have to do something I didn't want to do at at a job. I didn't have to, you know, make a decision. Uh, I did make a decision, but I didn't have to go. I didn't have to make a decision that I didn't want to make. And it's because of decisions I had made earlier in life. It's because I didn't, you know, waste all my money and uh, even living in Los Angeles and making a really good salary in Los Angeles, a really good sa- salary in Los Angeles pretty much just gets you to make enough to live in Los Angeles. But uh, I still managed to yeah. have some modicum of savings. I still managed to be somewhat smart about putting money aside and investing and developing skills. So uh, if you're, if you're spending like 20 or 30 hours a week in a libertarian party or any party I, for that matter, and you don't have like six months of savings, then I, then I would say you're actually doing the wrong thing. I would say just work on getting that savings or work on getting new skills so that you don't have to be put in a difficult situation and you don't have to say yes to something that you don't want to say yes to because you're afraid you're not going to be able to feed your family or pay your rent or anything like that. Um, I'm 
No, I'm not lucky enough. I'm not. I'm not lucky at all. I worked hard, and that's why I didn't have to be in that situation. Yeah, Spike um, Cohen. Spike Cohen does it right. I think. Uh, so yeah, I had yes. Spike on um, when, during his during his presidential run, and that was one of the, I, I asked him mostly business questions because that's what I, I was just blown away about how he was able to. He's still able to spend so much time. Um, he got his shit in order from the beginning and right. became pretty wealthy. And now he's able to just basically be a full-time activist. Right. And people like him are great examples, actually, because who do you want to listen to? You don't want to listen to the guy that can't pay his rent. Like, no one wants to listen to that guy. How are you going to take that you? person seriously? Exactly. And I'm, I'm not trying to you know, knock the people that can't pay rent. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm feel of you. You know, I've been in places where I, I was worried about the next month. So, I mean, sure. but I mean, but then, then you got to prioritize. You know, you got to get out of that spot because no one wants to follow you and no one should follow you. But yeah, somebody like Spike Cohen or Dave Smith, like they are out there doing political activism. Uh, Spike is pretty much like all he does, but he he can do that because he put himself in that situation and he had a successful business and grew that. And now he's a great example. He's like, yeah, the reason I can go around speaking about this stuff is because I already did this and I had the success. And you can follow that. So, I mean, I think people like Spike, uh, like Dave Cohen, I th- oh, Dave Cohen, <laughs> I just combined <laughs> Spike. I had Dave, Dave and Spike had a kid. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think they're two great examples of people that had tremendous success in their own life. And now they're in a position where if they want, sure, they can go around and do libertarian party activism, knowing that it might not achieve direct political ends, but they have the freedom to do that. And they're good people to follow the example of. But the example shouldn't be, oh, these guys are talking about this stuff, so fuck it if I got to pay rent next week, let me go to a rally. No, it should be, it should be literally follow their example like you know have achieved maybe you don't need to achieve the exact amount of success they have right. but achieve some don't worry be be where you don't need to worry about money for six months and then you can at least start to talk to me about activism yeah agreed agreed um we are on i don't know if you know this but six a day 605 of 15 days to flatten the curve <laughs> <laughs> i seriously looked it up um so I, yeah again i thought i thought to have you on the show because of your interview on dave smith i thought it was just brilliant dave smith part of the problem if you aren't listening you should be listening everybody should okay. be um i i feel like i was again listening to myself you sounded blackpilled and i i don't People know if said audience, that a lot about me lately but i loved it because i think you're just <laughs> like you aren't you're not lying to yourself like mm-hmm. when you get to that stage mentally after kind of elections like this or and or the uh everything that's happened in the past 605 days, right? It's hard for a lot of people who aren't, who are truth seekers and people who live by the truth, not to be that way. So um, I also know, know you moved out of California to escape that tyranny uh, just all the, it was craziness out there from our perspective. So what was it like in California before you left? Why'd you leave? And then where'd you go from there? Yeah. I mean, I, I spent about, let's see. 18 months of the COVID regime. Well, no, I shouldn't say that, but 15 months. Cause for about three months after the COVID stuff first started, I got furloughed from my job and I spent three months in Mexico with my now wife. Um, and that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Uh, a couple things too. I mean, I got to spend, I mean, my wife is from Mexico. That's why we're here. Um, so we were already, it was already kind of difficult, you know, living in two different cities in two mm-hmm. different countries and being in a relationship. Like we were always kind of like, you know, how are we going to see each other this month or that month? And Oddly enough, right when April was coming up, we were like, she had a bunch of work in Mexico and I had a bunch of work in the US and we were just like, well, I don't, I guess we're not going to see each other in April. I guess we'll, we'll figure it out next month. And then lo and behold, the universe swooped in and gave us all yeah. the time we needed. I was out of work. She was out of work. Um, so we came to Mexico and spent three months here. So that was nice. Cause like, I didn't like, I, I was there in the initial parts of the lockdown, but then I, then I got the, entirely away from it to a place where 
I won't say it didn't exist. I saw some masks here and there, but you know, we weren't restricted in any of our activities. We had a huge house with a pool for a third of the rent I was paying for my shitty little place in LA. So um, that was just, and I, that was my first, like, not first. I mean, I did a lot of traveling and kind of seeing different parts of the world. And I always had this itch in my mind to, to be overseas and at least partially or have the freedom to be overseas or be, and be in different parts of the world. Um, but that, that was the, the contrast between being in Los Angeles and just being in a nice house with my wife, um, with a pool, with like a, peop- a, a neighborhood of people who were just nice to me, even though I'm the only gringo in this small town we were in. Um, it really like made me realize like, no, this is more the life for me. Like this is um, like I, I, I was healthier. I lost 30 pounds. Like I lost 30 yeah, pounds. You, you look great. And I've gained some of that back now, but I haven't gotten, I'm, I'm probably in between. Okay, you, only look, back then. you look good then. Not great. Fair enough. Yeah. The hair helps. It distracts people. There you go. (laughs) But yeah, I mean that, that just really made me realize like, okay, at some point here I need to, I can't just keep doing the grind, even though I like my job. Um, like I'm good at my job. I love my coworkers. I kind of had what I, what I've been calling the good job trap, I think where my job is just comfortable enough to like, not feel like I needed to leave it at any point really. But also there was all these, you know, kind of background things that I'm not going to go into necessarily, but sure. there were other reasons kind of brewing in the back of my mind. But, you know, again, it's that, you know, if you look on paper, how are you going to walk away from that salary to, for nothing? It's not not nothing, but it, nothing guaranteed is what it is. Yeah. But, but, but also what that made me realize that's not guaranteed either mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I spent three months not paid that salary and I had no control over that. So that made me realize like, even if you have the most stable, cushy job in the world, Again, you're just being a shitty entrepreneur. You're just selling your time mm. to one client. And when that client decides they don't want your time anymore, adios, motherfucker. So you better have some other, at least have backup plans, at least have some other things going on. A lot of my stuff was accidental. Like, and I guess I was, it's good that early on, I mean, a lot of it too is that you, I will, just general advice I would say is always help people. Always help people that ask you to help them because. Early on in my career, even when I was just getting maybe a few years in, um, I had people reach out to me like, hey, I'm looking to break into the industry or someone just emails me on LinkedIn. And I, I, I don't know if it's just something, a personality trait that I have, but like I always respond to those people. I always be like, even if it's like, hey, I'm busy, but uh, yeah, we can talk for 10 minutes or something like that. I, I would always help those people out. And it's really amazing how quickly those people come out of the woodwork when you need them and without, without asking, which is funny how the universe works like that. Cause I've had yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's coming promise. out here and there like, Hey, I, Hey, my, someone needs to hire somebody for this thing uh, for a week. Can you do it? I'm like, yeah, I can. Haven't heard from you in five years. And it's just, it's funny how that stuff works. So, and I, I never did that with the intention of hopefully some that someday this person will get me a job or something, but it's just kind of how that stuff works. It's just networking at the end of the day. But I, I mean, think I never think someone's below your help because that person yeah. might be above your help at some point, you know, that person oh, yeah. might be in a position to help you. Um, so it's, I mean, it's just, it's a good way to live in general, but I think that's one thing that also helped me land on my feet so quickly. Cause I just, I have such a network of people that I'm, I'm never, I'm not worried about ever. And I haven't even gotten desperate. I'm not even close to desperate. I'm just kind of rolling with the punches. But if you lay the seeds, um, you know, everywhere you go, whether it's helping people acquiring new skills, um, taking your passions and, and learning whatever skills it takes to create those passions. You know, I didn't think of it in this way, but you know, starting Lions Liberty podcast, like I learned so many skills that I just had to learn, like, like, um, audio editing, um, copywriting sales. Like I do all those things for Lions of Liberty and none of those are on my regular LinkedIn resume, but I have all those skills <laughs> and I have those skills cause they're just necessary skills to pursue that passion. So it all, it all kind of ties together. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, where do you think Liberty goes from here? Uh, six hundred and five days in. 
how do I how do I give an answer without sounding too blackpilled? Um, <laughs> well, I think what you said is actually accurate. I'm not blackpilled. I'm just not lying to myself anymore. Yes. And that's what I think a lot of people are doing. A lot of yep. people are living in, in cognitive dissonance and just telling themselves this thing will blow over. Mm-hmm. No, I can just keep going to my job and watching TV after work. And like, I'm not, I, I watch TV too. Like, I'm not like trying to be an elitist, like don't go, don't go watch sports or anything like that, but, but have some priorities. And, and look, I mean, maybe it took me until I was in my mid to late thirties to even like start to really, really open my eyes to it. And maybe I'm 41 years old, you know, and, and now I can, I can even say like looking back at myself two years ago, I probably should have slapped myself in the face then. So I, I'm not trying to look down on like an, an elitist way on anybody at all. I'm just trying to give tough love when I say like, get off your fucking ass. Like, cause Liberty is not, is not going to find you. Like you're not going to, you're not going to message your way to Liberty. And I'm not saying you shouldn't message the, you know, your ideas. You shouldn't speak your truth. You should absolutely you should all the time. You should be stoic as fuck in every aspect of your life. So I fully support that. But don't think that just, just telling people what you believe is going to bring you Liberty. You actually have to just go get that yourself. You have to put yourself in a position where you're more free, where you're more free to do what you want, where you have more options in life. Um, and if you do that, then people will want to listen to your message more. So it, it still is the same thing. Like, like we're talking about with Spike Cohen or Dave Smith, like, yeah, people are going to listen to them. If Dave Smith was some, was some kid who lived in his parents' basement, who started some shitty podcast, um, like no one would listen to him. Even if he mm-hmm. was saying like generally the same things No, it's cause he's successful. He's funny. He's got a platform. He's got a platform because he's successful. I mean, and now because of that, well, yeah, maybe we'll take you seriously and you've been consistent motherfucker or whatever. And yeah. So Spike, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you got to build that reputation for yourself, but it's going to be really tough to do if you're, if you can't pay rent next week. Yeah. Clean your room. Mm-hmm. Um, what is one lesson you think ta- COVID taught us for better or for worse? Oh, so many, so many lessons. Uh, well, I think one thing it taught us is, is how easily like humanity can be swayed to be completely irrational. And that really, even I knew that from history, but you really, you want to think like, oh, we've evolved out of this stuff. You know, I read sure. about the Salem witch trials, the Holocaust, whatever, all these various things where they just seem so horrible that you don't think humans could ever do that. And then you think, well, we're in, it's a, it's, it's 2021 now. Like we're not like that anymore. We're civilized. Sure. No, we're not. No, we're absolutely not. We're actually way more like those, those older versions of the, our ancestors than we could ever imagine. And maybe even arguably, era. maybe even arguably more emotional. Honestly, well, I mean, and, and, you just look at the estrogen levels that are increasing in males and the mm-hmm. testosterone levels going down. I mean, you just do the math, even though math is dead, according to Madame Corolla. And imagine if the Salem witch trials existed, but but on social media, mm. you know, like, yeah, at least it was just in Salem. <laughs> but yeah. but this the COVID stuff is the Salem witch trials worldwide propagated through social media, which is already making everybody, including myself sometimes. Like I, I see myself reacting sometimes. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I know like, I feel yep. possessed sometimes. Like, yep. and I'm the one that sees this. I mean, there's people that are really deep in this stuff that don't even think twice about it. At least I'm somewhat cognizant of it, but I'm, I'm still, we're all victims of the algorithm. You know, the algorithm is there to inflame us and entice us. So if you, you take that and then you add COVID and you add this mass hysteria, I mean, it's just, I think this is why, this is why I focus so much now. And like, just talking about like, like getting yourself in the best situation, because at the end of the day, like you're not going to fucking gr- chart and graph your way out of someone thinking that they should, you shouldn't be around them because you're not vaccinated or right. something like that. You're not talking your way out of that. Yes. Maybe on an individual level, like you can 
you know, move some people here and there, but like, you're not going to move. You're not going to move like a mass hysteria in this way. You need to focus on protecting yourself. And that's why it all comes back to just getting yourself in a better financial situation, a better skill situation, better community health. situation, whatever that health, health is huge. That's another thing. Like, you know, just going to the grind, especially in the TV industry, like, you know, the crazy hours, like you can get up at 5 a.m., not be done till midnight on some productions, and you might do that for a week. And then maybe the next week you're working early, the next week you're working late. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It does just disastrous things to your body. And then they give you catering, which is just a bunch of shitty food usually. So, I mean, it's really easy to get oh, yeah. in, in a bad physical shape. And I stayed in decent shape, all things considered, but I wasn't in amazing shape. And I just, haven't seen, I haven't seen a sound guy. I'm serious. I, I think I've been on three. So I've been on television technically three times we did one full episode with hgtv i've never seen a sound guy who isn't overweight just saying yeah i mean and, or gal yeah <laughs> and, and they just because they sit back there just moving buttons like all day and that's what i did too I, I mean i was always like conscious enough to like try to get my workouts in even if it's just something small or try to walk around like little stuff like that that like it adds up but i mean the the industry is, is really physically taxing in that way so doing that not 24 seven, but it seems like 24 seven sometimes, you know, 40 hours a week, every, every week for almost five years straight, um, with very little breaks. Cause I still, I also did freelance work too. Yeah. Like, so I would, sometimes I would go on weekends and go work on another production cause I'm freaking insane. Um, so, so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's at some point you, have, you, you can realize you can work and work and work and work and keep earning money, keep earning money. Maybe this goes opposite of what I've been saying, but having to save, but at some point you do have to focus on your health first. Like, is, cause if you're, if you're, if working so hard is, is hindering your health, ultimately like none of the stuff really does matter. Cause everything does have your health first. Yeah. So, I mean, and for me, like working too hard was hindering my health, my health. And for me, maybe I work less maybe I make less money, but I'm also spending less money. I'm also a lot healthier. I'm also a lot more sane. Um, I also feel a lot more calm. I mean, there are so many things outside of the bank account that will ultimately lead to the bank account too. That's the thing. So if you get in better health, if you do the 10 pushups today and maybe 11 tomorrow and 12 the next day, yeah, like these little things are going to add up and you're going to be so much more productive in the things that you need to do to earn yourself money outside the system, whether that's gaining new skills, networking, just being in better shape in general. Um, all this, all this stuff ties in. It's, it's kind of hard to separate them because they all, you need all of these sort of pillars. You need health, you need good finance. And uh, I'm thinking of Gary Collins. He has the three pillars. I'm not, I forget what the third one is, but you need them all. Spirituality. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's there you go. Maybe that is the third one. Yeah, might be. Um, so your message has been a lot, big part of it today, I think has been, you know, just speaking to sort of individuals, you know, get, get your own shit in order first. What about the small business owners and what do you think they should be doing moving forward with rumors of a quote unquote great reset uh, in order to protect themselves from government becoming you know, so burdensome that they squash even more? I mean, they already killed so many small businesses, you know, when they locked everything down. Um, but you're a small business owner too. So like, what do you think, what are some strategies that we should be looking at? Yeah. I mean, that that's tough, especially because, because now they're even talking about now they're going to, they might even try to enforce vaccine mandates on businesses as small as one, which is everybody. So even if you become like a contractor and you run things through an LLC or something, well, they yep. might consider you a business of one that has to vaccinate yourself for your own business. I mean, it's totally crazy. Totally um, crazy. I would say at least try to insulate yourself as much as possible. At least try to move as much of your business either. I mean, this is not going to apply to a lot of businesses, but you know, 
like physically, if you can, to a better locale, at least to a state that might buy you some more time. Like I don't think moving to Texas or Florida is like a long-term solution, but I think it can buy you some time potentially with, with the politics of those places and maybe moving as much of your business online as you can, if that's possible. Obviously, again, it's going to be totally different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, again, none of it's luck. It's by design, but like the all the business ventures I'm in outside of the TV realm are all online businesses. So, you know, I can be in Mexico City and, and operate that stuff just fine. Um, so I think that helps a little bit. Um, at the end of the day, it, it is going to, I mean, none of this is easy, especially because they're, they are trying to, I mean, they're, I think a lot of this great reset, the purpose is to crush small businesses. I mean, that, that, that seems so obvious from the lockdowns, uh, Amazon's open, but the tool store's not, you know, I mean this, not Amazon, but Walmart or what have you. But I mean, it's so obvious that they're, that the only ones that can survive this stuff are these huge corporations who of course support, support all these policies and all this woke bullshit as well. Um, so there's no easy answer, but I would say to diversify as much as possible, diversify your clientele as much as possible, Mm -hmm. try to move to a physically better state place. If you're in like a blue state where things are really bad, um, that's all I can really say. But, uh, I, I, for a lot of businesses, it's not going to be easy. Like for, for a lot of play play people, it's, it's, you are going to be faced with tough choices and I feel for you. Cause I mean, this, this isn't the kind of thing anybody should have to go through, but well, maybe right. But maybe for somebody like that, you, you, you touched on it with this idea of diversity is maybe you should have a backup plan. Maybe you should have a backup for a backup and a backup plan, you know, those sorts of things, things to stand on you. I mean, even as an entrepreneur, you cannot take uh, anything for granted. One of, one of the f- things I live by every day is if you're an entrepreneur and a, and a capitalist, you wake up and you're, you you pretend like you're broke every day and you're just mm-hmm. chasing every single day and grinding. Um, one last what's been great about not going to that full-time job anymore is I'm not broke, but I wake up hungry. I wake yeah. up, with, I, I don't have the guarantee, you know, like I, I don't have, like, I don't have the easy paycheck. Okay. I know this thing's going to show up. Doesn't, on Friday. Doesn't that make like, you feel alive, Mark? Oh yeah. It's great. It's yeah. fantastic. So a lot of people say like, oh man, I mean, I've got a lot of people like giving me sympathy. Like, oh man, I'm sorry. I'm like, there's no sympathy, man. I'm no like, way. And a lot of people say I'm black-pilled and pessimistic, but I don't think I am. I actually feel great. I feel better than I have in my life. Uh, I'm, I feel freaking awesome because I'm taking control of my life. Uh, I'm in charge of things now and it feels so much better and I'm so much healthier and in such a better mental place. But I think me delivering this harsh message or what yeah. might come across as harsh makes people think I'm black-pilled and maybe I am, but I if you want to define it that way, but I, I'm just seeing reality and reporting it as I see it. So if, if seeing what's happening is if understanding reality and just reporting on it makes me blackpilled, then okay. Well, but I think it's just like you said before, not lying to myself and yes. not having that cognitive dissonance dissonance. Yeah. And our language to be fair to you and anybody who even uses that term, I, you know, it's like language is limiting up to a certain yeah, point. Yeah. There's only so much you can do with it. Right. Yeah. And we insist on labeling everything. We're just humans and that's how we do it. Um, one last question I'd like to ask everybody, Mark, before we sign off here is knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time, when you first started the Lions of Liberty podcast, what is one piece of advice you give yourself? Um, just, just believe in yourself. Cause I've, I've definitely suffered a lot of imposter syndrome. And I think one thing I, I've realized along the way is that we're all imposters along, like really fake like it till you make us, it. Not exactly. None of us are really the expert on anything. None of us are the best at everything. I mean, maybe one guy is the best at every one thing, whatever, but you know, most of us are all just, like you said, faking it till we make it. And I had to get over that. It took me a long time to get over it. I still have moments where I'm not over it. So it will never entirely go away. There's always going to be that little voice, that that little doubting Thomas in your mind, that little devil that's like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. But you know, just tell that guy to fuck off and move on. Cause you are, we're all human. We're all made of the same basic ingredients here. And we can all, we can all do it, whatever it is for each of us. 
Yeah, you got it, buddy. This has been awesome, Mark. I'm so glad you yeah, uh, had a blast. Took me up, yeah, it took me up on this uh, uh, on this opportunity, and, and we got to speak. Um, it's good to see your face. You know, I, I haven't talked Indeed. to you for for a very long time. For sure. Um, so, if people want to hear more of you, where can they find, follow you, and then tell us a little bit about your business that you're starting too? Well, um, I, I just I'm. My biggest flaw is that I can't get off Twitter. I, I am a pretty a pretty chronic, chronic tweeter. So you can find me on Twitter at Mark D. Claire. Uh, my name is a little tricky. It's Mark with a C. So M-A-R-C, the letter D. My last name is Claire, C-L-A-I-R. No E on the end, please. That's at Mark D. Claire. I'm pretty active there. Um, and then, of course, Lions Liberty, lionsliberty.com. Uh, we've talked about that a lot. I also have the very nerdy and very fun Second Print Comics podcast, secondprintcomics.com. Uh, I can tell you about the business. I don't want to give the web- website yet because we're still building it and I don't want anyone to yeah. go to a, an unbuilt website. Uh, but but like, basically the idea is uh, I'm partnered with a friend of mine, Mikel Thorup, who I met through podcasting as well. Uh, he's the host of a podcast, The Expat Money Show. And we both kind of saw this same problem that I was describing um, in podcasting uh, where, you know, there's just some advertisers and people that have products and podcasters just a little below those thresholds that the big, big advertisers want. So our goal is to connect them together and kind of disperse downloads amongst, you know, potentially smaller podcasts and just help everybody rise up, help people get more of their products on more, on more ears, more attentive ears. And while at the same time, um, you know, helping, helping other podcasts grow faster and get some income faster that they might not have been able to do otherwise. Uh, so that's what we're doing there. Uh, the company's called Vivate, V-I-V-A-T-E, but don't go to the website yet. Give us a month or so. <laughs> and, um, but also, I also individually, I do some kind of podcast coaching. I've been helping some people who are kind of launching their podcast or trying to go grow their podcasts. Um, who some might have a big budget, some might have a small budget. It just depends on the person. I'm, I'm willing to work with anybody. So you can always feel free to reach out to me. I'm always willing to have like a free call with people just to just to meet and see if it makes sense. But uh, you can always find me at, might just send me an email, mark.claire at gmail.com. There you go. You have it. There you got it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, check Mark out. I, I thoroughly enjoy your guys' podcast. Um, so, you. you know, keep, keep, every, keep, up, keep up with everything you're doing. And I appreciate your perspective, Mark. This has been great. Thanks for being on today. Thanks, Lance. 